Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The 25th of July, 2021. Let me take you back. It was day two of the Tokyo Olympics. And Team GB were already celebrating their first medal. Chelsea Giles winning a judo bronze in the women's under 52 kilogram category. Further success in the Paralympics a month later as Chris Skelly won Britain's first gold in 25 years and celebrated by saying he wanted to eat pork pies and then Elliot Stewart with a silver. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And despite all that recent success, it's not been all plain sailing for our latest guest on Great British Bosses, the podcast from anything but footy that speaks to the people behind the success of British sport. The men and women effectively charged with ensuring medal success at Olympics, Paralympics and Commonwealth Games, as well as increasing participation and fitness levels across the country. So, hi, I'm Andrew Schuller. I'm Chief Executive of British Judo. and. Uh, Really pleased to be here. And you brought a tear to my eye again when you mentioned Chelsea Giles and the guys' medals. So it was great to, to hear that again. Andrew, great to have you on the podcast. Great to have you on Great British Bosses. And a great time to speak to you as well, because as far as British judo is concerned, these are good times. A record medal haul at the Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi. Gold and a bronze on the final day, adding to the five medals already won. And you mentioned Chelsea Giles. Of course, they're winning a silver on the first day. You must be pretty pleased with how your elite athletes are going right now. Yeah, it's been a really positive start, and especially for the junior ones that are coming through. So you have Kelly Peters and Pollard, Emma Reid, who are all making a good transition from junior into senior, and that was really pleasing to see that our juniors are now starting to come through and, and perform on the, on the world stage and, and win medals. The other thing is we, we've got the men starting to come through, so we won two men's medals, which is really quite exciting with Sam Hall and Lachlan to, to do that, so which is really positive from our point of view, and it's a great end to the year. And you talk about that tear in your eye when we think back to the Tokyo Olympics. As a CEO of an NGB, how important is it when your sport gets that medal? I mean, it's not a guarantee 
of success and funding and everything that comes, but just the realization of all that hard work as a governing body. Yeah, and especially the way it was won as well. Uh, it's about, I'll tell you about a story about it because I wasn't able to go to Tokyo for obvious reasons. Um, and I managed to, to get into a, a holiday at the same time. So I was actually in New York. And it was like the middle of the morning trying to watch it. And my phone went down. So I, I had to run up to the Apple store, <laughs> which is a 24-hour Apple store, watching <laughs> watching the fight. And actually, actually, almost like tears in my eyes when she won. So it was, it was a fantastic element. But, you know, it's great for the sport. It's not just, you know, the individual, but great for the actual team that got her there, the whole performance team, the whole organisation that not not just Chelsea, but the whole team, because they all play their own part, whether they're training partner and supporting during the day, and especially in a, a challenging environment, which, which Tokyo was for the athletes as well. And also, you know, there were there were certain other elements that made it so special for Chelsea as well in order just to get there and that she was recovering from COVID and, and things like that. So it was a great performance and an outstanding for us, as were all the performances. I mean, they all fought well. And it was great. And then the Paralympics just added icing on the cake to it. And as you said, um, Chris was just so so special to see that. And and the other one, Elliot, you know, outshining his dad, who won a bronze in Seoul, outshining his dad to get a silver was even was was another aspect to it. But you know, it really brought the sport together. And I, and I think that's the you know the movement got behind the actual athletes and the performance programme and the whole organisation, especially as we're coming out of a COVID, a really difficult COVID period. Talking of a really difficult COVID period, we're about to enter another one, it appears. You've got the British Championships coming up in the next few weekends at Sheffield. Has that changed anything for you? Well, we put, we were pretty stringent on the... the um, restrictions anyway we we put a lot of places everybody has to do lateral flow we put that at the front they've got to show the passport we've been pretty proud and we follow an igf guidelines and in fact today we've actually increased those so that we're restricting some of the back office elements to it so unfortunately we're having to take away um some of the media access to, to reduce that in, in this because we're very conscious the back of stage element where the where those people are we've got elite athletes around and and, and officials and um, but we're still allowing the spectators in and, and asking for them all to mask up at the event so we're taking as much precautions as possible but we you know we don't want to stop things happening because it, it, it is a real opportunity and we're able to do it and i think the first weekend with our cadets and pre-cadets will be great and then the following weekend you know you, you will have chelsea fighting you'll see our olympic stars um uh, fighting in, on the event, which will be a real great fill-up to the end of the year again. And one of the things about British judo, the BGA, established in, in 1948, uh, I believe, and has been going uh, successfully since, is, is one of these sporting organisations in this country, Andrew, where you are responsible for everything. So it is the elite, and as you say, we'll see them at the British Championships, but you're responsible for, for putting on events like the British Championships, but then also for the clubs and the coaches and getting people active. You are right across the board. It's not like, say, British swimming or British athletics, where they are literally looking after the elite athletes. Yeah, that's very true. We're, we're just in the process of doing our new strategic plan. And it's quite interesting. You know, the four 
sort of key elements that we would look on that is, is about growing participation, how best we do that. And the other aspect is that we, we believe that we are, we are got a particular USP, if you want to call it that, and that we can get into areas that other sports don't necessarily get into. And so how do we actually create communities within that and being more diverse in that? And that's really, you know, tackling some of the inequalities that are around the country and the government's levelling up and things like that. So I think we're, we're quite uniquely placed to help that in smaller communities and local areas for that type of sport. So we're picking that up. And, and then the sort of third element to that is how do we actually create the pathways from there and it's not just pathways to elite performance, it's pathways to long life participation. And I think judo, in a way, is a bit of a life skill in some respects. When you take in things like being able to fall properly, for example, and I probably hark back to um, Jack, say, falling off his bike in Superstars, you know, and didn't hurt himself because he, learned, he knew how to fall properly, um, things like that. So it's really, for us, it's, it, I see it as a life skill just as much as swimming is. And the World Health Organization see that as well, that, you know, learning to fall, not just in a playground, but at work or elderly people is quite a skill in itself. So looking at that and how do we actually deal with that? But we've also got VI, so our visually impaired judo, we've got learns to judo and so on. And we're doing a lot of work on self-defense um, or personal safety more than anything else. Uh, and it's quite interesting. We're doing a project up in, in the, the Northwest where we've got 50 Muslim women regularly participating in a judo, um, a judo exercise. Um, and, and it's based around self-defense, but it's physical activity, it's community-based, you know, and they're actually gaining confidence. And it's all part of our values and our core values and how that works. So that nurturing sort of pathway is not just to performance and it's not just in participation. It can be in coaching and officiating and so on. You know, and we've been, you know, while we, we're getting some success through our performance athletes, we've now getting more success through our, our referees. Um, we've got now two international referees, in fact, three. So, but Lisa Rivers and, and, and Stefan Newbury, they're all now on, on that pathway to hopefully refereeing an Olympic Games. So there's an, a pathway there. And then, of course, we've got a non-contact element. Um, and you might have saw in the Paralympics that the kata and the karate, well, there's kata and judo as well. So there's an opportunity for the, the non-contact dis demonstration display element to that. And then we've still got our grading. So, you know, the different colours of belts that are there, people can perform not necessarily on the mat, but recreationally and, and get their gradings and go up to a black belt and beyond. So I think there's lots of opportunities that you can actually pick up in the sport. And obviously, the icing on the plate, the last 1% of our <laughs> of our membership are the ones that, um, you know, win the medals. And, and they have a benefit across the whole organisation, and they see that as well. And they're putting a lot back in to that. A lot of our Olympic athletes have gone back into the clubs after the Games and done a lot of activity to help promote the sport back in and, and recover from COVID. And that previous strategic plan for 2017 to 2021, the aim was to increase participation in judo to, to 50,000, as I understand it. Was that reached? Is there still the appetite for these traditional martial arts when you think that UFC and MMA and things like that now are, are huge in terms of television audiences? Yeah, I mean, we were almost there, I love to say, and then COVID hit us. Um, and of that 50,000, that's 50,000 in membership of the British Judo Association. There are another 50,000 people doing judo, but not members. 
So we have different organisations, people who do it as private schools and so on, who are not necessarily members of that. And, you know, there are, there are clubs who are, who are members, but they only have 30-odd, 50-odd members, and they've got 1,500s who are recreational but not members. So, you know, that's one of the issues we have to address. Um, so there is an appetite for it. I think we, we're playing a lot, a lot of parents, and we do a lot of research and insight work and, and find out why people participate. And, and 60% of our membership is below the age of 18. So parents have a lot of influence on that. So the sort of the, the values that judo give you are really quite important and how we actually address that. And we've gone back to the... The, the Kano values, which was done in 1882, and they still stand today, you know, um, you know, that courage, respect, modesty, friendship, humor, you know, politeness, self-control, all those things are really attractive to parents. And especially around that, that um, self-control and, and the elements to that. And so we, we've done a lot of research, a lot of research in schools where, you know, people would put judo in and the performance in classes, behavior in classes improved extensively. So, we're using a lot of that to recruit elements to it, and we're doing a lot more on uh, changing away from the traditional going into schools and, and running sessions to a more digital approach, targeting parents and, and doing that and showing the values of it. So when you look at the kind of UFC, MMA type of disciplines, is it important then that you keep your status as an Olympic sport and then obviously next year back as part of the Commonwealth Games in the West Midlands, where you're based, of course. Yeah, yeah. It is very important. And and to be fair, judo in, in Olympic balances, there are, there are only two other sports, I think athletics and um, swimming, that have the, the range of national countries participating in Olympic Games. So, for example, you know, in, in judo, there are 100, 123, I think it was this time around, nations participating in the Olympic finals, you know, which is massive. You know, and you look at the, the scope across the world uh, in judo and the, and the number of nations that are participating and winning medals at that is much, much, much greater now. So I think there's a real protection around keeping that. And, and I believe, obviously, all the combat sports are, are probably protective of their Olympic status because that is a, a massive income generator, but also the profile it gives and, and the range it gives across the world i mean we you know you're competing against japan who will obviously win between eight and ten of the 50 odd medals that are available um and then you know france you know they have six hundred thousand members in judo in france um and we're you know it's it's we're like preston north end trying to play man united you know so it's in france that between now and, and the paris olympic they're building a thousand jojos for judo we have 39 in this country. They're building an additional thousand, you know, so it is, it's a significant, so to win medals at that, on that stage is, is we're boxing well above our weight to use that terminology. And you mentioned about the development in, in this country. One of the things that you have had backing for and, and are working on is your new center of excellence uh, in the University of Wolverhampton and, you, and you're staying there for the, for the next decade or so. Yeah, it was one of my goals when I started. To, we were a bit of a disparate organisation. We had a head office in Loughborough. We had a, a centralised training venue. We actually hired a, a matted area in, in um, Dartford post-Olympic. So I was wanting to try and create a home. So we, we did put out a tender and, and Wolverhampton University 
built and basically built us a new dojo, built built um, strength and conditioning offices and things like that. And we've continued to build on that. And the, the university has been absolutely fantastic and a great supporter for that. I was able to move the offices across to um, the, just outside at Peribar. And then recently, the last two months, we've all moved together. So the first time the whole family is together. And, and we've continued to develop it. We've put new changing rooms in, additional uh, medical and training and um physio um, facilities and extra office space etc so that has gone really well um and we've sort of said it's and we get a lot of comments about a center of excellence actually it's the national olympic and paralympic training center that's what it is we're the way i see it is we're a finishing school a lot of clubs a lot of the home countries do a lot of work all we do is put the finishing touches to it and, and, and actually make them perform so the key thing for me is we have to create an environment and a, a platform to allow our athletes to perform and succeed that's that's our reason to join the performance panel but there's a lot a lot of work that goes behind that in terms of planning strategy and and, and the strategy is quite i don't know if you're aware but i mean our athletes and coaches are out this country 180 days a year so there's an awful lot of, you know, it's a world tour, a lot of competition and camps that are away. So it is quite challenging to balance training development, building in a, a, a strength period, you know, bulking on or whatever, in amongst all the competitions and camps that have to be done. Congratulations on getting everyone together. I'm wondering when we talked about earlier about your, your role across all these different outlets, is there a percentage, Andrew, where you mentioned about the clubs, how much you have dealings with the clubs compared with the coaches, performance directors and the athletes elite wise? Yeah, uh, it would be easy to say it's a third, third and third. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, I mean, over a year, it probably is. But each week it is, is very different. And obviously through COVID, it was different again. You know, where COVID, we did spend a lot of time putting the regulations together for the clubs, but we couldn't do a lot of club development or support clubs. There wasn't a lot happening. Whereas on the athlete side, we were able to get them back end of July, beginning of August prior to games. And, and that was really quite important to make sure that they had all the things that they needed. And we, we were able to then start to get competitions early in the, the following year. So putting all that together, making sure the athletes were safe and secure, putting all the protocols together, you know, that would probably took up a lot of time in that period. Now coming out of COVID, the sort of reverses back a little bit, how best do we actually recruit and retain more people and get our clubs back? And not all our clubs are back yet, you know, we haven't got access to some school facilities or education facilities, the universities or even some local authorities. And we've even lost some lets to local authorities so it's it's a challenging point and we're we're, we're reinvesting now as i said i think we're, we're moving into a more digital focus how do we recruit through that using digital as a much stronger means to do that and we're developing a, a british judo app which every member will get and, and build that on but we have to be more specific and it goes back to strategy about developing communities. So how can we identify clubs that are able to grow, got the capacity to grow and how can we help them centrally to, to do that? And then how can they share across other clubs in their areas? Um, you know, so that's quite a challenge. We're not, I used to work in rugby when we had, you know, 50, 60 development officers plus about two or 300 um, community coaches, you know, to try and set that. We've got five. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the capacity is slightly different, but you have to be, you have to, as my dad would say, box smarter to, to actually get what you want to do. Um, and doing it in a, a challenging COVID plan, and you mentioned earlier the, um, the new Omicron one, you know, judo, you know, and, and other combat sports will be challenged by that in that we're a face-to-face, close proximity contact sport. So if there are any locked in data, we'll be first to stop. You know, whereas probably, you know, I'm a hockey player, so outdoor hockey would probably not get the same effect, for example. So, I mean, literally, we, we've never been able to do judo since the first lockdown to the actual April this year. So it's been quite a, a challenge for our members and our clubs to get back. And, you know, some of them have lost their members to other sports because they've been desperate to do activity. So in order to do that, it's really quite a challenge and, and we need to support our clubs. And, and to be fair, Sport England um, through that have, have helped us, as has our UK sport in terms of keeping the funding uh, available and being able to be flex that a little bit. But, you know, through the Sport England tackling inequalities and now the Together Fund, we're able to try and invest in our clubs. And I, I have to applaud, you know, Sport England and UK Sport for, for the way they start to look at supporting clubs and challenging areas oh yeah and we'll hopefully benefit from that we do want to get on and, and talk to you about your background in hockey and rugby as well <laughs> but you've, you've used the word challenge I wonder what's been the biggest challenge in your 10 years at the organization there's been COVID you've had to look at the governance of the sport yeah. you've had to deal with independent investigations around bullying for example yeah. what when you look back at that decade what would you say has been the, the toughest moments I suppose overall the, the toughest part is is probably funding and changing strategy from national bodies. I mean, you know, when I first came in, we were, you know, although it was Olympic period, I get that, but we were, we were on a, a 10, 10.2 million over four years. We're now the last cycle, we got 4.8. So, you know, dealing with that sort of cut, um, dealing with cuts all the time, to be honest, Um you know, and we've got a 1.8 from UK sport cut over the next four years as well. So that that for us is, you know, trying to make that work. And I get it. We're not we're not entitled to the funding. Don't get me wrong. And I, I'm not criticising them, but it is a big, you talk about challenge, that is a big challenge. Then, then you've got the, the elements like that, you know, you've mentioned some of the, the situations we had with some of the athletes and things like that. Having to deal with that, it eats up a lot of time, but I'm pretty confident that we did it in the right way you know we don't we take these things seriously you know, we, we do it we made sure it was independent we made sure it was clarity and we made sure it was done you know and deal with the outcomes you know and anything recommendations we, we've done and completed so for me while it's a challenge it's sometimes the right challenge that, and those things bring up that you can actually address and be better for the future so I, i'm not it's a challenge but i'm not a friend of that challenge to be honest um, and I think that that's we can always learn. And I'm never, I'm not perfect, so you know we, we always have to learn and, and develop. And always, there's always two sides to every story as well. So yeah, my dad would say that's it. there's two sides to a pancake. So uh, that's my famous quote that everybody quotes me on now. So it, you know I don't take anything for granted. Always find the other side and make a balanced judgment. And if it needs to be independent, it will be independent. We mentioned obviously, you know. Hockey, rugby. How did you then find your way into judo? When when did judo come honing into view for you? Um, well, I left rugby um, in two thousand and eleven, 
Um, and then the, the opportunity came along for a chief operating officer in, in judo, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, obviously, being in rugby, it was very much on the development side that I was involved, a community rugby director there. But the opportunity to then look at an Olympic side of things and have an overall view of things was, was quite attractive. So that's where that went. And then fortunately enough, after the London Olympics, able to um, take the take the reins as it were, <laughs> which is good. And I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it. As I say, it's not been without its challenges. And, you know, I did have here when I, when I started, um, but uh, no, it's good. I mean, Judo for me, it's very much like hockey and, and like most sports, to be honest. You, you enter an, a new family and you make a new family. And um, and as families always have arguments, but they always end up, they're still family. Um, and I think that's the attraction of, of working in sport, to be honest. You have, yeah, you have your doubters and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, everybody's trying to do the same thing for the right reasons. And being a former Scottish hockey player with more than 120 caps, what does that bring? What do you bring from that to being a CEO? Old age. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's quite interesting because you learn something from every part of your life that you bring to to that. So, you know, I I sold crisps for a living at the very start, you know, and you learn a lot of things of what not to do as much as what to do from those sort of things. But I mean, selling, is no more different to trying to develop something. You know, you have to sell a product, you have to, whether it's a bag of crisps or a, a wheel, a nut or whatever, you're still selling a sport, it's selling a product. And you have to create that attention and desire and interest and then make a, a commitment to it. And, and, that, and that's the same for anything. So, you know, from sales into to sport development was quite an easy jump. Um, I'd worked in administration and hockey and then development, and then I was very fortunate to uh, be asked to join the, well, I went to Glasgow, actually, I forgot about Glasgow. <laughs> so you get the local authority knowledge, so all that stuff, you know, the jigsaw of your life and jobs and things that all piece together to, I suppose, give you um, a, a toolkit that can actually pick up on that. International-wise, you know, it's you, you know what commitment is, you know, you know where your regrets were in terms of your your own performances and what what you, you sometimes ask if I'd only done type of thing. I might have gone a bit further. Um, so you can you can understand from an athlete's perspective. I was an international coach. You can understand from a coaching perspective. So you've got that, and then obviously you know from a development point of view, I've got a fairly solid background in that. Because background and local authority with the city council of Glasgow, which is. I have to say, one of the most forward-thinking sports development at that point in time. And you just seem to say, I mean, we started talking about the Commonwealth Games. That was way back in the 90s. So um, you, you know that the, the plans of all that and all the facilities that are around that was relatively straightforward for Glasgow to pick that one up. And the legacy is fantastic there as well. It's not as if it's been left alone. Uh, and the appetite for Glasgow and major events is second to none, I think. Um, so I was I really had a great time there, and then coming back down to the eleven years at rugby was just fantastic. And again, learned a lot about managing people, making sure we had training in place. One of the first things I did to get a training manager, Will Febri, who was who was there, and and looking after people. You know that's the important bit. You know, and you know if you can train and develop and 
get people into the right position, I think they're, you, you're going to do well. So all the, all the elements piece together. Um, you know, as much as what to do is, um, is, is what not to do. It was probably my biggest learning from all of that. <laughs> because down the road in Birmingham, there has been some controversy around British athletics and the CEO who came in and queries about whether uh, the fact that they weren't from the sport was, was detrimental. Um, and Joanna Coates obviously resigned earlier this year. Does it matter whether you play the sport or is it, as you say, actually just understanding what each element needs and requires? There's a bit. I've always done. I've, when I went to rugby, um, I made sure I, I, had a, I had a go. And I did my level one coaching course. So you build credibility, as I look at it. You need to feel, I've always said, you need to feel the sport. You need to get under its skin. And, and those little things go a long way in terms of turning people's opinions of you. So, you know, I've done judo. I went to Coventry Judo Club and broke my toes and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I've been on the mat in the centre and stuff like that. I mean, it's something I haven't, I'd probably like to do, but at least you've made the effort, you've tried to understand it, and you get a feel for somebody gripping you up and throwing you down. Um, fortunately, the athletes throw you in a crash mat, which is very nice for them. Um, but no, and, and, you know, we've tried to do that in our, the staff all get the opportunity to go and do it as well. So they get a feel for it. So for me, I think, you know, I, I thought rugby would have been the hardest one, you know, A Scottish, B hockey, you know, coming in. Um, but again, it's it's how they, you know, you treat people and you get the same back. So what you put in, you get back and probably twice as much. Um, and they just want to be part of the family. Um, and I think that that's where, if you go and, and say, oh, you've got to change this, you've got to do that. It's the wrong, for me, that would be the wrong way to do it. I have to feel the sport, get underneath the skin a little bit, and then suggest changes when people over and develop it from there. And of course, in your own backyard, the Commonwealth Games is, well, very close by now. It's very much on the horizon. What kind of opportunity will that be for Birmingham as a city and in terms of that legacy piece that you talked about with Glasgow and and then for judo where you know we, we will be expecting some some home success and plenty of medals yeah I mean I think it's, it's well it's Birmingham I think there's a wider West Midlands aspect to it um, and I think that's great I think the idea of having a wider West Midlands with swimming out to Sandwell for example and obviously we're down in Coventry and along with rugby and wrestling um, I think it'll be a great opportunity I think there's a real you can sense in in and around the area people are getting really excited and motivated by the games they know they're not far away their activation is beginning to happen around Birmingham and surrounding areas and things like that which will be really driving and I have to say that the organising committee and um, the Commonwealth Games England have done a superb job so far I mean I can't say anything else that, that they've been very supportive to all the sports um i'm really looking forward to the judo one we're pretty well involved in that it'll be a fantastic three days of competition um yeah i think there'll be a, a lot of home country medals i have to say that <laughs> home country um you know because i mean to be fair in the commonwealth you know that the four home countries are pretty strong i mean england scotland especially 
Um, you know, I would expect them to pick up. I mean, the last time in Glasgow, I think we picked up England, picked up 13, Scotland picked up 13 medals. The beauty of it for us is BBC picking up on the terrestrial um, broadcaster, and we're on the sort of day three, four, and five. So, quite early on, it will hopefully bring a lot of medals to the home countries. England, if you want to look at that, you know, from, from that perspective, they'll be very keen on that. Um, you know, and, and the fact that we're able to showcase our talent, our Olympic champions, our Olympic medalists, and and that and these events will be absolutely fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to it and being able to activate around it uh, and utilising the, the the terrestrial television exposure to benefit to try and grow interest in the clubs all around. Difficulty we've got like five or six days later, we've got the World Championship starting in Tashkent. So you can imagine the, the planning that has to go in to make sure everybody's got a, a relatively good run into that. So, yeah, and we want to make sure that our best athletes, our best fighters are at the Commonwealth Games, but also, you know, our world qualifier, Olympic qualifying event, the World Championships a few days later. You can see how our performance team have to, to earn their crust to make sure we've got the right planning and timetable in place for everybody. And just finally then, I mean, judo needs to showcase itself as a sport at that event because, as we know, the Commonwealth Games needs to change, is changing, yeah. and there won't be the guarantee of being on the programme. And we saw that, obviously, in Gold Coast. Yeah, I mean, the sort of change in... Because in, we originally we were got the next three games, and then obviously that's changed again. Um, hopefully, you know, we can showcase that, as you see. I mean, already people are desperate for tickets and, and things like that. So there's a lot of demand for them here, as they were was in Glasgow. Um, so hopefully we can get that. And, and you know, from a, an organising committee point of view, and that's probably where it comes down to, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not as expensive as some of other, other sports to put on, if that makes sense. However, you know, not all the not all the Commonwealth countries are particularly strong in in judo, so you got to balance all that out because um, it's it's like the, the bigger nations like to get all their medals and finish up the medal table. So, and so whoever's the host country gets the choice. <laughs> but I think it's going to Canada, isn't it? Or hopefully, Canada for in um, nine years' time because I think that's the anniversary, isn't it? So, hopefully. Canada is a very strong judo nation, so hopefully be back in it now. Well, we wish England, Northern Ireland, Wales, and particularly Scotland, <laughs> uh, all the best for the Commonwealth Games and all of your British judo uh, athletes as well. Andrew Schooler, Chief Exec of British Judo. Thank you so much for talking to great British bosses. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.